Amen. Church, how we doing today? Good. Good to see you. Glad you're here in person. Glad you're joining us online. My name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. I want to welcome you as we continue to worship. And uh, God has called us to be different. So uh, reach over, touch your neighbor, and tell them, you're a little different. You're a little different. And then say, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Hey, let's give uh, just a round of applause and a big, warm plaza welcome to our online folks. We love you guys. You're not forgotten about even though you're at home. And uh, say hello in the chat. We'll be looking for you. And so glad you could join us and uh, hope that when you're able, you're able to come meet with us in person. So, well, as you know, uh, our church is uh, navigating, merging with our brothers and sisters in Christ at Red Church and looking forward to how we can impact our community better together than we could separately. And so uh, Pastor Jason has spoken here a couple times. I wanted to invite him back again just to hear his heart and, uh, and for us to be encouraged as we think about what is the purpose of the church and how is that different from the world as the body of Christ. We have a purpose. We have a, a function. We just don't come and show up on a Sunday, but God has called us to be about something and do something. And so I've had the privilege to know Pastor Jace for a few years now and uh, encouraged by his friendship, encouraged by his leadership and his preaching. And uh, I like to give him a hard time, too. He also ran an obstacle course race and uh, didn't invite me. And uh, but that's OK, because he's he's hurting from that race. And so y'all pray for him as he uh, navigates uh, what that looks like. So come on up, Brother Jason and uh, church. Let's give him a, a round of applause and welcome as he brings God's word to us. Thank you, brother. Good morning. I would have invited you, Pastor Daniel, to that race. We planned it a couple months ago, and we thought you were interested. So what that means is the next time we run, you've got to go. So no excuses. We'll make sure that that happens. Well, so glad to be with you this morning. I am uh, a little bit sore, but I'm feeling good. Uh, my wife and I do these things together from time to time, and uh, it's a great uh, we just believe that a couple that plays together stays together, and um, so we got some good pictures of us jumping over fire and climbing ropes together. Um, that, that's fun for us, and we're not super like, you know, we're not vigilant like military about it, but, but we have fun. Um, but anyway, so glad that you're here today. I want to speak to you about something that is a, really a passion of mine because I really have a passion for the local church. I think we often, even those of us that have been around church a while, we don't understand sometimes the importance of the church. In fact, I believe today's message is so important that it's something that I speak on at least once a year, and usually at the front of our year during uh, our anniversary service or something along those lines, because it's foundational that we understand the purpose of the church. So that's going to be the opening question is, what is the purpose of the church? And if we were to go around the room, we might all have slightly different answers, but today we're going to look at what does the Word of God highlight as the core purpose of the church. So Matthew 16, 18, this is Jesus, and he says, and I tell you, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus says he's going to build his church that evil's greatest attempts won't be enough to stop what he's doing. Death itself can't stop the fact that he's going to build his church. This is something that we should be excited about because no matter what we see in the world, no matter what we see in culture, some of the things that concern us, that, 
that maybe even bring fear to us, things that are changing, the unknown, that as long as the church is on the earth, Jesus is going to build his church. There's hope coming because nothing is going to stop Jesus from building his church. That's something that, that as we don't deny things that are going on, but we have hope that other people don't hope, that they don't have because Jesus says, I'm going to build this church. So the question is, do we trust Jesus at what he says? The first time he says this is the first time that we see the word church in the New Testament. And so it hasn't happened yet. Jesus is prophesying something that had not yet occurred, that he's going to build this church. And in fact, this is the only thing Jesus said he's going to build. He didn't say, I'm going to build a university. He didn't say, I'm going to build a hospital, although obviously those things aren't bad. In fact, we wouldn't have hospitals and education for all if it wasn't for the church. Many, many people don't know that, but it were Christians that actually started the first hospitals and educations for people who could not afford it. The church's influence throughout history is far greater than we realize. The church will never end. What this also highlights is, is that everything that we face in this life will end in some way. That means like um, Disney will one day end. Amazon will one day end. GM will one day end. These things that have played such a big part of our lives, everything else will pass away, but the church will never end. And we see this throughout history, even in the face of persecution. We see this, that actually the church thrives in the midst of persecution. In China, some say as many as 67 million Christians are in China despite the persecution. We know this even in the early church, that it was through persecution that the church exploded in growth. I want us to understand something for us to really understand the day in which we live. There are 7.8 billion people on the planet. 7.8. Understand it took 1,800 years to reach 1 billion. It took... It took uh, uh, 100 years to reach 2 billion. It took 33 years to get to 3 billion. It took 14 years to get to 4 billion. We're multiplying. If you are a Christian, this should be an exciting time. If we're a Christian, we should not be pessimistic. Why? Because there has never, ever in the history of the world been a time where there's been more people who need to know Jesus. God chose you and me to live in this small sliver of all of existence. There's never been more opportunity. We must recognize the day in which we live. There's more souls at stake than ever before. And the church, the church is who God has chosen to to bring forth this message. Jesus is the only hope of the world. But they chose, God, Jesus chose that the church was the way to bring that about. That means education won't solve all the problems. More money won't solve all the problems. It is the church. The church is God's plan A. So while we're pointing out all the problems in the world, the church is the solution. This is what we need to understand. The church is the answer. We are not to sit there and be going, Look at this problem and complaining about this problem and what about that? We are the church. We are called to the world to bring about the solution. If the church is sitting on its thumbs, nothing will change because God chose the church 
to be its agent of change, its agent of hope. The church isn't a service. It's God's spiritual family. I want to clarify this. The church isn't a service. It's not a building. Sometimes people say the church is, um, is the people. That's not totally true. It's partially true. But the church isn't just the people of God. The church, the ecclesia, which is the calling out, that's what the word church is, is ecclesia, is actually the family of God gathered together with a common purpose and a common identity. The family of God, we are called with a common identity. We are all one in Christ. What that means is this. It doesn't matter what your finances are. It doesn't matter what skin color you have. It doesn't matter what your history has been. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, we are one family in Christ. So we have a common identity, but we also have a common purpose, meaning that we are not meant to just be people who come and have fun together. We have a common purpose where we lock arms together to advance the message of Christ. Why? Because the world is lost. How many would agree that there's issues in the world? How many keep your hand up and say, I'm willing to be a part of the answer to those problems? We are the church. I'm the church. You're the church. There's threats throughout history and even now that we need to be aware of. There's external threats. There are more people dying for the gospel today than ever before. We don't hear a lot about them, but they're dying all throughout the country, all throughout the world. There's internal threats, false beliefs, false doctrine, apathy. It's one of the greatest threats to the American church is apathy. We've gotten so focused on ourselves and just looking at the problems of the world that we forgot we are the church. The church is not made for you and I. We are the church. We are made for the world. Let me say that again. The church isn't made for you and I to go with what we like and our preferences. We are the church. The church is made for the world. We are made to impact the world. The problems that we see, we are made to go out and bring hope, the truth. Good news, Jesus said he came to establish his church, and the church will never end despite these threats. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through the five primary purposes of the church. What are the five, if you're taking notes, what are the five primary purposes of the church? And when we say this, we're not talking about the organization of the church, although that does apply, that if, if there's any church, any local church that does not have these, then we're not actually playing out the role of the church. But personally, we are the church. Are these five active in our life? And if they're not, why? Have we forgotten the purpose? Have we gotten distracted? Have idols seeped into our life that we put more attention to than what Jesus called us to do? These are not necessarily in order, but there's five of them. The first purpose of the church is worship. We are called to worship. This means to love God with all of our heart. Another way to say this is we are to honor God in every area of our life. Worship is not singing a song. In fact, most verses in Scripture that talks about praise and worship are not referring to music. In every area of our life, we are called to worship. When you give financially, when you tithe, that's an act of worship. When you are at work and you're doing your job well and you're not doing it because of your boss, 
You're not doing it because you want to raise, but you're doing it to honor God. That's worship. And no matter what we do in this life, we are called to worship God in it. Whether it's work. Do you know what? You can worship God when you have a really good meal. Can you get an amen on that? Like, God, we just want to thank you. Now, in moderation, but the truth is, is that he made food taste good, right? This is a gift of God. Lord, thank you for this blessing that you've given us. We worship you. And when you understand his presence, that's an act of worship. Matthew twenty two thirty six. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So he's talking about the two great commandments. Love God essentially with all your being and love others as yourself. We are all wired to worship. And every single one of us will worship something. And every single one of us are worshiping something now. And if you've been around the church for any period of time, most of us know what we should be worshiping. But the truth is we are far more impacted by our culture than we realize. What do we worship? One of the things that you can identify is where you put your time and your money. What you put your time, what you spend the most time doing is likely what you worship. Where you put most of your money or the majority of your money is what you worship. Sometimes we worship ourselves. What I want. We can do this in marriages. I want this, she wants that, I want it more, and whoever's the dominant personality gets it. Or if you're both dominant personality, you just fight about it. We can worship materialism. I just want more stuff. Do you know this current culture, the young culture, they don't worship materialism as much. Do you know that the top of their worship idols is experiences? That's why Instagram is such a big deal. Look at where I've been. Look at what I'm doing. Experiences can be an act of worship. We can worship our preferences and, and our ideologically, uh, ideology in our politics. Or, or we can worship our preferences anywhere. In church, in our families. What I want, what I like. We're all wired to worship. In fact, this is one of the reasons why we come to church on Sundays, to worship God. We don't just worship God on Sundays, but when we come to church on Sundays, and I know it's a unique situation with the, the kind of the time frame we're in, so for those of you that are, are attending online and making uh, the intentional effort to be with us online, but do you know one of the reasons why we come to church on Sundays? It's not because of tradition. It's not because the pew... Just is so familiar with my, I just know, it just fits. We come to church as a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Every single Sunday is a mini Easter. Because what we are saying is, in my life, my faith is a priority. Because nowadays, you don't have to go to church for people to like you. In the, back in the day, everyone went to church, but many of them were not believers. But if you were a good person, you had to go to church. Now, sometimes it's like to be a good person, you don't go to church, is what the world often says. But when we make church a priority, it is showing others where our priorities are, and it's a testimony. They say, wow, you're getting up early to go to church? That only works if they see that there's different things in our lives that are different than theirs. Hebrews says, don't neglect to gather together. It's important to the local church. It's part of our testimony. It helps us to identify our priorities. 
but also encourages our faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. There's something that happens in person that's, that, that's a little bit harder, and I know that's, it's kind of a, a unique thing with the season that we're in. But Luke 4, 8 says this, You shall worship the Lord your God, and, and him only shall you serve. Worship is not music. That's a form of worship. But God, we are to put him first in all areas. Every area. Is he first in our finances? Is he first in our time? Here's a good question. Do we spend more time on social media or watching some streaming service or watching Matlock or running or whatever it might be than we do our faith? If we make time for shows, but not the church, that's revealing something is an idol in our life. If we make priority even for school, and school is not a bad thing, but if we make time for school, but not small groups or Bible studies, it's revealing that there's an idol there. If we're spending more time on our cell phones and in our Bibles, it's revealing there's an idol. If we spend more time gossiping than encouraging our fellow believers, it may be revealing there's an idol. If we spend more time complaining than being an example to the lost, it might reveal that there's an idol. It's important for Sunday morning worship. It helps us worship and help keep God first in our life. But that's only one part of the, of the church. Another purpose of the church is ministry. What is ministry? Ministry is serving others in the name of Jesus. And here's the thing. Ministry is not just for the pastors or the volunteers. If we are a Christian, we are all called to do ministry. Every single one of us are called to do ministry. If Jesus is the Lord of our life, we are called to do ministry. If we're a Christian, we're called to serve each other, serve even our communities. Guess what? It's not the pastor's job to do the ministry. That's not a biblical concept to say it's the pastor's job or the staff of the church's job. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, Ephesians tells us this. The purpose of the leaders in the church is to equip the saints to do the ministry. Not to do the ministry. It is the leader's job to equip the saints, the believers, to do the ministry. Jesus goes on and says, love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what? We can't love ourselves from a distance. That means we can't love others from a distance either. See, we can sit there and say, oh, I love all people, but whenever we say we love people, and love is specific. Let me give you this example. If I were to go to my wife and I were to say, I love all people and I love all women, are you okay with that? How many wives would say, yeah, I don't think so? Right? Love is specific. So we say all the time, I'm loving, but love is something that you can actually see. One of the ways that we can see if we're loving is if we're actually serving others. And if we're not serving others, most likely we're simply serving ourselves. See, here's the thing. We might want, the church, we want, might want to make sure that the Bible is taught and preached and we don't compromise, but we can't ignore the parts we don't like. Because we often want to focus on the ones that make us look good and we can point and feel better about ourselves than everyone else because I don't have that sin, but we ignore the parts that convict us. 
Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. Part of the issue is it's easy to treat people like objects. In our culture, we often treat people like hammers and screwdrivers. We treat people to give us what we want. We can do this in marriages. We can do this in friendships. We can do this with people that we work with, our neighbors. We treat people as objects. I, if you don't give me what I want, then you are worthless. You don't love me. You don't have value because we end up using people to get what we want. For some people, it's direct. and For some people, it's more passive-aggressive, more manipulative. But serving positions the heart. Serving confronts pride. Serving reveals pride. Some people don't want to serve, and it reveals a pride that their time is more important, that they have other priorities. Sometimes serving reveals pride because they end up bragging about how much they serve compared to everyone else. It's one of the reasons why serving in a church is so important. As Christians, we should be willing to be highly inconvenienced to reach those who are lost. Why? Because that's what Jesus calls us to do, to love others as we would have them love us. We're not called to be consumers. There's no room in Scripture that leaves room for us to take, 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 and not be contributors. We are called to give. We are called to serve. Give of ourselves, our time, our money, our talents to advance the kingdom of God. Every believer is called to do that. Why don't we do that? Because the truth is we've been far more impacted by our culture than we realize. Because everywhere else, it's about us. We go to a restaurant. They can tailor what we want. And if you don't like it, they can take it back. If you have authority in a job, you can fire someone. Or get another job if you don't like it. Our clothes, we can order almost anything online or get it from almost any store. Our culture is built on commercials. If you take our product, our product will change your life. We're here to serve you. The problem is we have treated the church like everything else, but the church is not a Starbucks. The church is not a store. The church isn't there to meet everything that we want the way we want it. That's consumerism. It's a sin to look at the church that way. It's a lack of worship. It is putting us on the throne of our lives instead of God. Because when we see that Jesus changed us and we didn't deserve it, it would humble us to the point where we want other people to experience the hope that we now have. been very blessed by some of the people who've been serving here at Plaza, Amanda and Donnie and Joey and Mike and others. This is a reflection of hearts that want to see people lost and lives changed. We're all called to do that. It's one of the core purposes of the church. Is that active in our own personal lives? Another purpose of the church is evangelism. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19. The, part, the, the church exists in part to communicate God's truth and love to others. And when it says the church, it's not just like, oh, well, our church should be doing this and our church should be doing that. No, no, no. It's not like our church should be doing this. Like, are you willing to do that? If we have all these ideas of everything else, but we're not a part of being, wanting to be a part of doing the things the right way, 
That's not in the right heart. We are called to reach the lost, every single one of us. Now, we all have different giftings. You might not be the extroverted person that, you know, just talks to a million people a day. It doesn't have to be that way. It could be one-on-one coffee with a friend or, or reaching out to a family member or, or whatever it might be. Sometimes I hear young families say, well, this season is just too crazy. Understand this. No matter what season of life you're in, we are all called to reach the lost. In fact, in that season, there are people that you are probably the only ones that can reach them in that season. For example, for us, we try to do play dates because having kids is one of the greatest excuses to meeting other people with kids. So you don't have to have a reason to be like, you want to hang out with my kids, and it, this means that I don't have to watch them all by myself. And I know it's, this is an interesting season, and, and that's an interesting thing to navigate. But we've been able to have so many conversations with people simply because they're in the same life phase as us. And this doesn't matter. This is true if you're a teenager. It's true if you're a young married or you have a family or you're retired. We are all there. All of us have people that we can reach that other people will not be as effective in reaching. We are all called. Every generation is called to reach the lost of that generation. That means if we're still alive and we're still kicking, God still has people he wants to use us to reach. Because Jesus is the hope of the world and he's building his church and his church is the way he has chosen to reach the lost. You guys with me this morning? This word, go, is the word ongoing. It means that it's active. It never stops. It's not like, oh, yes, I did that back in the day. No, no, no. It's to be always active in our life. It's not like, oh, yeah, I did that because I used to go on missions trips or I used to do that. No, this is to be always active in our life. What this? We share. We share with our people everything that we care about. If there's a movie you like, you share it. If there's a restaurant you like, you share it. If there's a book you like, you share it. If there's a story you like, you share it. We share everything else because we care about it. So if we don't share Jesus, is it possible we just care about so many other things more than him? Is it possible that we've been impacted by culture far more than we realize? I share things I love. I share stories about my wife. I share pictures, way more pictures of my kids than I should. I admit it. If those of you that are, are friends of mine or follow something on social media, I, I admit it. I just, I just like taking pictures of my kids. <laughs> Part of that is our, a lot of our family members live elsewhere, and that's the only way they can see them. But um, we share what we care about. We share what we're excited about. Evangelism reflects the heart of God. Reflects the heart of God. Luke 15, there's three different parables just about how much God cares about the lost. In fact, he says in one of them that he would leave the 99 sheep to go find the one. Are we offended by that? Because a pastor or a spiritual leader wants to reach the lost and he's not caring for you? Does that offend us? We all know that we all have things and we all need to minister to one another. We, we, we get that. We understand that. But three different parables. Jesus shares that God cares about the lost. 
And this is something that I don't know that I fully grasped until a couple years ago. I think we only, we only had two kids at the time, and we we're at this big event, you know, back when we had those things. We had this big event, hundreds of people at this big kind of festival thing, and it was one of those situations where I looked down at my two daughters, and I think one of them was being held because she was really little. The other one was, was three or four. Psalm is my oldest daughter. And so she looked down at her, and then I look up trying to figure out where we're going to go, and I look down, and, and Saul, my oldest, is gone. Gone in the midst of a, a huge crowd, and I don't know where she went. And I almost lost my mind. Because if you're a parent, you start thinking of the things that could happen. You start imagining things, and I start looking at the parking lot first. Like, do I see anything? I start looking everywhere, and I ran up and down. I'm not a fast runner, but I ran. I broke some records because I ran back and forth, frantic looking for my lost daughter. I, I, if somebody, If there was a brick wall, I would have ran through it. Or I would have knocked five people up, stacked them on top of each other, used them to claw over the wall. Why? Because my daughter was lost. Nothing was going to stop me from trying to find my daughter. This is the heart of God for the lost. Are we as passionate about the lost as we're, as we're passionate about our style of music or passionate about our TV choices? Or are, we, are, we, are we passionate about the lost as much as our politics? Or something else crawled in there that's become a fixture of our focus. Now, thank God we finally found my daughter. She was in a swing. It was one of those, like, designer swings. And she was so small, we didn't see her in it. Grabbed her up in my arms. God cares about the lost. If we, what keeps us up at night? Do we even process the lost? Or are we just complaining about the sins that the lost are doing? One of the purposes of the church is evangelism. Another one is community. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his followers to go and make disciples and baptize them. And if you've not been baptized, we strongly encourage that. I know that's a big deal here. It's a big deal for us as well. But it's important that we understand baptism in this context. Jesus is not calling people just to believe, but also to belong. Because baptism, in part, obviously, is to identify with Christ in his death and his resurrection. But also, baptism also brings you in. It's a celebration that you are not just saved, but you're now a part of the family of God. It's in part bringing you into a community of believers. Historically, and in other countries, sometimes people get baptized, and what ends up happening is their family will show up, and they're standing there on the, on the shore of the river or wherever they're baptizing. And when they go down, they're facing them, but when they come up, they turn their backs on their family member because now they are, that family member is now dead to them because they have chosen to identify with their family with their faith in Christ, with their new family, and not them. So they are no longer a part of their family. They're dead to them. See, in other cultures, identifying in Christ above all others has massive consequences. So baptism isn't just to believe, it's to belong. That baptism is now, you are, you, you, it's a celebration of, of, what your, of your, new, your faith in Christ, but it's also, you are part of our family. 
We're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. This term, ecclesia, gathering of people, of, are united by a common identity and purpose. We're meant to connect to one another. We're, we're meant to have relationships with one another. And you can't be close with every single person. In fact, some studies have shown that you can only have about 12 really intimate relationships. They've seen this in, true, in leadership, too, that a, a, a good leader, an excellent leader, can only really lead 10 to 12 people well. It's not an accident, I think, that Jesus chose 12 disciples. Obviously, there's a lot of biblical significance in the 12 tribes and things of that nature. But he's also modeling for his leaders going forward. But we are called to have close relationships where people know us and we know them. To know and be known beyond just a Sunday morning. It's one of the reasons I know we, we promote this and I know Pastor Daniel promotes small groups and, and, and Bible studies to be able to get connected in relationships. We're called to love people and allow them to love us. This isn't a social club where we just hang out, but where we are, we can hang out. That's part of it. We can, you know, some of us went running in our, in our group, went running yesterday as a, as a group activity, but it's beyond that too. We're to encourage one another to continue to grow, to become more like Christ. Studies have shown historically that people who are connected thrive. Marriages, people who are married and go to church regularly, not people who just say they're a Christian, but they don't go to church, but people who go to church regularly have a much lower divorce rate. Kids who go to church do better in school, are less likely to get into drugs and premarital sex. They're, they're more likely to keep their faith uh, past their college years. Connected people thrive. They're healthier. People live longer when they're in church. We're not called to live as islands. And what I mean by this is currently, not just I did this once or I was connected like five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Being a part of a church is not that I once went there. It's not even just sitting in a pew. It's actually connecting to people. That's part of the purpose of the church is to build relationships and not like, oh, yeah, we did that seven years ago. No, this is part, actively part of our lives. Iron sharpens iron. Guess what? Iron doesn't sharpen itself if it's just in the drawer. We're called to connect. We can say we love people. But guess what? It's tough to do in real life. Love people. We can sit there and say we love them until you're in a group with them and they won't shut up. We can say that we love them until we serve with them and they say something that we don't agree with. That's when real love and patience and persevering and having grace for one another and sometimes having tough conversations. Because true love isn't passive. Sometimes you have to have tough conversations. The fifth sir, uh, purpose of the local church is maturity. Go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This word observe means to obey, not just know. What that means is we have to move from knowledge collectors to knowledge appliers. This is one of the greatest dangers in, in the American church today, is that we have... We have defined spiritual maturity just based on knowledge. So we can read a ton of books. We can read, obviously the word of God is very important to transformation, but lots of people know the Bible and aren't living the Bible. 
I know professors who know the Bible inside and out who aren't living it out. Spiritual maturity is not purely based in knowledge. Knowledge of what the, uh, the Bible says does help us grow spiritually. But if we're not living it out, then that means that the information has not led to transformation. Learning should lead to transformation. If not, it just leads to more information. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount that if you hear my words but you don't do them, you are foolish. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So if we don't do it, we are actually living a lie. We're deceiving ourselves. One of the primary purposes of the church is to help followers of Jesus to grow into spiritual maturity, meaning to help live it. We learn it to live it and lead others to it. We learn it to live it to lead others to it. You know, they did some study that, that if you, uh, many people have like a, in churches, past a certain amount of years that they've been in the church, have like a, a high school level of the Bible, but have like a sixth grade active living it out. So we often think we know more than we actually do. Anybody ever know a kid who thinks they've grown up and they're not? Anybody know an adult that thinks they're grown up and they're not? Don't point to anybody in the room. Don't, that's not helpful. And this does not just mean the parts of the Bible that are convenient. Because none of us, all of us, if we're going to be honest, have fallen short in one of these areas. Maybe we're not evangelizing as much as we should have, discipling. Maybe we've been disconnected from other people. Maybe we've not been worshiping God like we should. We've been worshiping something else. All of us, if we're honest, would have to admit, say, I've I, I definitely made a mistake. And that's the grace that we have through Christ. That we can sit there and recognize, Lord, I've messed up. I repent. Help me to be different in that. See, grace follows repentance. We don't accept something we don't think we need. So if we're not willing to admit we've been wrong or off, then we don't experience that grace. Right? How many people know that we've got people in churches across the country who may not even be saved? We may even have pastors in churches who may not be saved. See, repentance matters. So all of us have fallen short, so the hope that we have is that we can be forgiven and God can change that in, my, in our lives. It's never too late with God. But we have to be willing to repent and say, you know what, I have fallen short in this. Not, oh, I know them, they've definitely fallen short. I know Brother Chris, he fell short. Pastor Daniel, we know fell short. No, where have we fallen short? Worship, serving, evangelism, community, maturity, these are active in all of Jesus' ministry, in the ministry of Paul, and in the book of Acts. And I'll finish with this. We really have two choices. We can look at the world and just, like, be depressed about it and just say, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It just is. Or we can understand that God chose you and I to live in a generation where there's never been more opportunity to reach the lost. There's 7.8 billion people on the planet. And God chose you and I to live in this small sliver of time. We can sit there and say, woe is me, or all right, God, what would you have me do? 
I hope we'd all be willing, if we're followers of Christ, to say, God, if I've messed up, forgive me, but what would you have me do? So what's your next step? For those of you that, maybe if you're watching online, maybe you're, you're not a believer and, and you want to put your hope in Christ, we'll give you that opportunity here in just a moment. Maybe it's getting plug, plugged into a small group or joining a team. Maybe it's repenting, say, God, I'm a believer, but I've definitely, there's some things that I've let get too active in my life. I, I need to get the main things, the main things. It may be simply going, God, if I've been blind and I've gotten too comfortable, too fearful, or you're not number one in my life, please open my eyes. Close your eyes and bow your head. I'm going to give this opportunity. I don't want to assume everyone here is a believer or those of you that are watching online. But even if you're here and you're a believer and you'd say, you know what, there's definitely some things in my life. There's things I, I need to repent of or things that have gotten too I've gotten too distracted by some of these things. If that's you in this room, even if you're a believer, would you just raise your hand? Anybody here? If there's anybody here that would say, you know what, I don't know if I died right now if I'd go to heaven or hell. I don't know. I, I'm right with God. But you want to be right with him before the day is over? Would you just raise your hand? Even if, even if you're online. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. If you just, if, even if you're online, raise your hand. I can't see your hand, but God can. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask everyone to repeat after me. If you raise your hand, don't just repeat it. Mean it. You're talking to God himself. Say, dear Jesus. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I've messed up, and I can't fix myself. I put my hope in you. Be the Lord of my life, the leader of my life. I put my faith that you died for me and rose again supernaturally. Show me how to live. I believe in you that you died for me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We are the church. The world has fallen, but Jesus said he's going to build his church. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Jace. Well, church, as we get ready, I hope you're fired up, ready to uh, continue to be the church. And, uh, and as we talk about merging together and navigating that better and, and seeing how we can reach the lost and magnify God, glorifying him. So I hope you're excited. I hope you are ready. We've got uh, a quick video announcements here uh, for closing, and then Donnie's going to come and close us, and then uh, Scott will as well. So are you doing the closing? All right. Okay. Was there a video?